Hey everyone, this is my appearance on the Empathetic Atheist YouTube channel. The audio quality leaves something to be desired, which is mostly my fault. It was a YouTube stream, which I'm not totally used to, but it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. The host Justin asked me what I think is the strongest argument against God, what is the worst argument for God, and a lot about how I became an atheist. I had a good time with Justin and his co-host Andy, and I hope you enjoyed as well. Welcome to another episode of The Empathetic Atheist. My name is Justin. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, I know we do have the presidential debate coming up uh, here soon in the next half hour, but anybody that uh, stays to uh, hang out with us, um, I thank you so much. Uh, so put, put, putting us uh, on a pedestal on top of the, uh, the, <laughs> the president. Um, but yeah, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We have a guest with us that is uh, into counter-apologetics. Um, we're going to learn a little bit about him and, and figure out what he's all about and where he came from and what he does now uh, within the community and uh, and see where that goes. And we'll jump into the after party like we normally do. Uh, let me go ahead and say hi to everybody that's in the chat before we do get started. I want to say hi to P. We got Skids the Clown, Sunny Shell. What's going on, Sunny? Sunny has actually been uh, uh, jumping on basically as a member of the uh, of the team for the show, uh, bringing some people on, scheduling some shows. So, Sunny, I just want to give you my best um, my best thanks over uh, over the air here. That uh, thank you so much for all the help that you've given us. Uh, we also have Chris with the Daily Atheist Morning Show. Go check his show out. Um, he's been doing a lot of political stuff lately. So, if that's what you're into, I definitely would. Uh, well, check it out if 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 you wanna if you wanna talk about Trump, uh, Chris's show is the place to go. Um, KCA Randy, we also have let's see, do 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 Ricardo Oliveira, what's going on, man? It's been a while. Thanks for uh, for for hanging out with us. Uh, let's see, we also have Maya Adkisson. Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen you before, but thank you very much. Um, let's see, Phil from Believe in Reality. We, uh, Nathan Artwork is with us, and we also have uh, Laughing in Disbelief, which is Andy, who is our co-host for the night. What's going on, Andy and Emerson? It's been a wonderful day. I hope to be able to bring some comedic heat to this important conversation. Comedic heat. Okay, <laughs> I can buy that. <laughs> Emerson, how are you? I'm good. I'm just, I'm sad everyone's missing out on the presidential debate. How are they going to learn about the issues now? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, the issues that matter, all you have to do is go to a, a, a website uh, that's, I think it's called www.joejorgensen.com, and then you'll learn everything that you actually need to know. <laughs> or hollyhawkins.com, but that's a whole other story here. Whole um, other story. So we'll get to catch the main show, but. With that being said, Emerson, um, typically what we do in the show is we kind of get a background on, on who you are, where you came from, and what you're doing now. So I hear, you know, I see that you do have a podcast and whatnot. Uh, what do you do on there? Well, I have uh, two podcasts. One of them is just about atheist stuff, broadly speaking, and the other one is sort of about everything else. So um, 
more often than not, it's about consciousness and the mind-body problem stuff that I wouldn't want to torture my regular listeners with. So I kind of made a second podcast to talk about politics and uh, you know the mind-body problem and stuff like that. But the main podcast is Counter Apologetics, where you know it kind of does what it says on the label there. Um, but I started it a few years ago, um, just kind of talking about you know pop apologetics level stuff like new atheism, and I gradually got more interested in the philosophy of religion. And um, that's kind of where I am now. I'm, I've been delving more into the um, the philosophical side of these questions. Um, that's really where you have to turn if you want to. Um, if you sort of want to see theism at its best and atheism at its best, you mm -hmm. kind of have to turn to um, philosophy of religion. You know, people like uh, J.L. Mackey or Graham Oppie um, or, uh, you know, on the theist side, like uh, Rob Coons or... Um, or uh, Josh Rasmussen, in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. So if that sounds interesting to you. Definitely. And, and I think we actually have everything down in the description below for your uh, the links to your podcast. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, if you're on the road on your way to work, uh, how, how long is typically an uh, episode? Uh, typically they're, you know, 30 minutes or so. But okay. no, I'm, okay. I'm, fully, I'm fully aware that my main job is a commute shortener. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, when I'm listening to podcasts, that's what I typically do, is look for something that's, you know, when I, I started off with this show as it being a podcast, uh, and then decided that I'm a, I'm a kind of visual kind of guy, so I, I wanted to bring it up and eventually start a YouTube channel, so I said, I said, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop the podcast and just start a YouTube channel right off the rip, so. Um, but, but yeah, the, the podcast world there, you, there's a lot more outreach when it comes to the podcast world. Now YouTube is the number one site for, for video. Um, but you know, you have so many resources when it comes to, uh, you know, iTunes and iHeartRadio and, and Spotify and all those different platforms that you can actually push your, push your, uh, co content out on. Uh, but yeah, so it's about atheism, counter-apologetics, and you're getting into the philosophy of religion. Where did you start? Uh, you mean with religious stuff? Yeah, I, um, like how'd you grow up? Did you grow up religious? or? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I took religion really seriously growing up. I was raised um, evangelical Christian. Um, my, uh, you know, I have several family members who are in ministry, Um my grandpa's a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. Both my parents have always basically been in part or full-time ministry. Um, so I, you know, and I thought I was called to ministry. I was a worship leader. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it started off as sort of a, you know, like I said, always in the realm of evangelical Christianity, but started to get more and more like, uh, charismatic, if you know what I mean, as time went on, like, uh, you know, tongue speaking. I, I never spoken tongues but all my friends did and uh <laughs> and um you know just like two or three hour like worship sessions of um yeah like if you've ever been to like a pentecostal church or any of these more charismatic places mm -hmm. um you know what i'm talking about but yep. i was a part of that for a few years and um that's when i started doubting my faith a little bit it was it was a long time coming but um there were just some seeds of doubt that uh i couldn't um ignore like uh, god's hiddenness was something that bothered me quite a lot um from like a very young age like okay. uh, i couldn't understand why god wouldn't um make himself as obvious as you or me mm -hmm. you know like yeah. 
I didn't, I couldn't think of any reason why, why that would be the case. And, uh, at least no reasons that held water. Um, you know, and then as I got older in high school, I, uh, started, uh, questioning like God's goodness, I guess. Like it was also related to, um, divine hiddenness, but, you know, just like the, uh, slavery in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. like in a, and on such a obvious moral issue, you would expect a certain answer in a, in a morally perfect book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's no unequivocal condemnation of owning other people as property in the Bible. It's just not there. Um, so I start. I was thinking about that. I started thinking about um, predestination, which I think is something that's just unavoidable if you think about it for a second. Um, you know, God is this omnipotent, omniscient designer. And, you know, you're not responsible for your genome. You know, you're not responsible for your genes or your environment or your parents. Mm -hmm. And if you change any of these variables, you know, you change whether or not the person is a Christian or, you know, whether or not. And considering the stakes, you know, people are basically being assigned to hell, you know, to something that's um, completely beyond their control. So, uh, you know, I started questioning God's goodness right now. (laughs) <laughs> I started questioning God's goodness. <laughs> and I also started questioning, um, you know, a question that theists have never really done a very good job answering, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is how did you come by this information? Yeah. You know, like yeah. about God, <laughs> you know, which one is the right one? And, uh, you know, who is he? What does he want from you? Like these questions, like they just, they have answers. They're just terrible answers. Mm-hmm. And um, I started doubting, you know, revelation, started questioning whether faith was a virtue, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I started, you know, kind of like in my later high school years, um, going through all this thought process. And I was kind of sent to an apologetics camp um, <laughs> when I was um, 18, <laughs> I believe, 18 or 19. And uh, um, it kind of worked out because I met my wife there. Um, we <laughs> we just got married. Um uh, on the 20th. Yeah, a couple actually. days ago. So Congratulations. Just, um, hey, yeah, dude. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've been together for um, six years now, but um, we uh, we just got around to finally getting married yesterday. But um, we, uh, or what day is it? I, I think I might be confused about it that. Is, is it the 22nd? Or, 22nd. Is it the 22nd? Yep. Okay, the 22nd. Two Did you already forget the day that you got married? <laughs> I remember the day. I can't remember what day it is right now. It's just ever since quarantine, it's just this haze of, you know, just everything bleeds uh, together. But, <laughs> but um, uh, uh, oh yeah. So I went. I was sent to this place called Summit, um, which is sort of an apologetics boot camp. Okay. You know, I think there was like seventy-ish hours of uh, lectures that I sat through in a two-week period. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Um, I met the uh, noted philosopher and theologian Frank Turek, <laughs> oh, who is uh, really? about as unimpressive um, as you might think based on his videos. Oh, well, uh, that, um, that would be not very much at all then. <laughs> yeah, no, he sucks. <laughs> I've but, been wanting uh, him to get on the show because, I mean, he, he I, I, we would say that he sucks, but the Christian community actually really, really likes what he does. Um, even though, you know, it's contradictory at every single turn. Uh, and I'd really like to, as a, just a lay, you know, guy with 700 subscribers on a tiny little YouTube channel, pull Frank Turek in and kind of like throw some arguments at him and hold his feet to the fire. That would be awesome. But, but yeah, you, that's, that's cool. You got to meet Frank Turek. That's cool. Yeah. And, um, 
You know, I, I loved it. And it really was sort of, um, it sounds kind of cheesy to say, but it was a bit of like an intellectual awakening because I was raised in this, you know, somewhat anti-intellectual environment. I kind of hesitate to say that, but, um, you know, like I, I didn't believe in like evolution or um, I was kind of sheltered from a lot of things. And um, just like a, the sort of, even though it was kind of pop apologetics on some level, it was like the first time that these issues had been like analyzed in a sort of philosophical or scientific way. And I was like, what, whatever this is, I really like this. <laughs> and um, so it was a really important like time in my life. I'm really happy I went. But at the end of it, I realized that none of my questions had been answered and that um, I was an atheist. And uh, yeah, and it, you know, Ever since then, it's just been a, you know, I've continued growing, I think. Um, you know, like I even listen to older episodes and I cringe a little bit um, because, you know, I, I just am constantly reading and listening to people who are smarter than me. And yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's actually been a fun, you know, liberating process of growth. And, uh, you know, I really don't regret um, don't regret anything. It was a turbulent like year or two. It was a pretty psychologically destabilizing experience to lose my faith because I took it really seriously. As I said, I kind of organized my whole life around it. But after the initial like, you know, year or two, that was pretty rough. It Things got better because there's this resolution of cognitive dissonance that had been, you know, a part of my life up until that point. So, uh, yeah, things are good. Okay, okay. So, so you, you grew up, um, you grew up religious. You decided that this is all BS. And, uh, you said, I, I kind of can relate to you there to where, when I listen, listen back to like, you, you talked about when you were younger, divine hiddenness was a big problem for you. Um, and that was actually one of my first episodes when I started the podcast was faith and the issue with divine hiddenness. Those were like the two first things that popped into my head when it comes to issues um, on, uh, we, we understand all this about God, even though he's mysterious and understandable. Now you would think there'd be a certain point to where we would unlock these secrets to where he's like, ah, you got me. All right. I'm right here. All right. Game's over. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be happening. And we keep learning more and more about God by science, finding more and more stuff out. And then religion claiming that it's God. So if that's the case and we keep learning more and more stuff, when when's there going to be the time to where God's like, all right, so you guys know enough about me and what I've done. I'm right here. Like, Well, I mean, I think that what you're saying could be formulated into a pretty powerful argument just about the fact that God is hidden and just the, the fact that the odds of the probability of God being hidden on naturalism is, you know, hidden is a hundred percent. And the, the, the odds of uh, God being totally hidden on theism are less than that. Um, but plus, I, I think that just the existence of atheists is evidence against God. The fact that there are people who are approaching the issue in good faith, you know, people who are not resistant to the idea of God existing, and some atheists who are not even resistant to the idea of worshiping God if he existed, um, yeah. who don't believe, you know, and there are tons of people in other religions who are de facto rejecting God. Um, even though they're earnestly like seeking after him. And I just find that to be such, such an unexpected outcome on theism. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just, I would hasten to add though that um, my, uh, 
my reasons for being an atheist as of today are a little bit different from what they were, you know, when, when I initially deconverted. So if, if someone asked me, why don't you believe in God, it would be a different answer than what I just gave about, you know, how did you end up becoming an atheist to begin with? You got anything for him, Andy? But, well, if I knew that you were a uh, fan of the philosophy of consciousness, I would have brought out all of my pineal gland jokes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> obscure reference for those in, in the back. Um, so you said that you've met your now wife at this, at this um, what amounts to an evangelical boot camp? Yeah, an apologetics boot camp, yeah. Okay, so did how did your deconversion... Um, line up with her deconversion. I'm assuming that she's deconverted. I don't know. Maybe she's still a believer. Yeah, yeah. No, she was. Um, she was raised in like a multi-religious family, which uh, really does a number on <laughs> staying religious. So uh, she was. She's the youngest by like a lot, and every one of her siblings has a different religion. <laughs> and uh, you know that ha that leaves quite an impression on a younger person. I think. Um, I think that's kind of the world that like Zoomers are growing up in. Um, you know, they're just exposed to so many different viewpoints that I think it, it really does chip away at like the certainty of any one religion being true. But um, so we ended up there. <laughs> she went there by choice. Um, I didn't go there by, by choice exactly. But um, she was, uh, she was, let's see here, because she was raised Jewish. And then I think she had sort of converted to like a Messianic Judaism or maybe like all the way Christianity. Um, and uh, after Summit, she was like sort of a deist for a while. And then I eventually talked her out of that into atheism. But it was maybe a year or so. Um, she was like still kind of religious and then was a deist and then eventually was an atheist. But I went straight from Christian to atheist. And like, no, that's normal yeah. from what I've seen at least is that most of us go from, from uh, you know, some kind of religion, hardcore religion, to something more liberal, and then we play around with Buddhism, maybe, or Taoism, <laughs> and then we end up somewhere around agnostic and deist, and then you know, we end up as, as atheists, probably. But, but you took the big jump. Yeah, I probably couldn't have justified it. Like, if I were talking to my former self, I'd probably be pretty annoyed at his uh, arrogance. But, you know, I, I had... It's like I, I had a bunch of strands of things that turned out to be pretty good arguments, but I just couldn't like formulate them um, in a way that I think would lead to like a rationally ju justified atheism. I, I would say at least it was my atheism was like rationally permissible, maybe. Um, but, you know, it's like I, I had just been introduced to all these things. And, uh, you know, like I said, my reasons for disbelieving have changed slightly. But... Mm -hmm. But I, I was kind of on the right track. But, yeah, I just went straight from Christian to atheist because, if I remember right, I, I just, um, if, you know, I can't I can't really even get in my head. It was so long ago. You know, I, I worry that I'm, like, out of touch sometimes. Like, I need to go back to church or something because <laughs> I kind of wonder if I, I don't even know what Christians think anymore. But I've been talking to uh, a handful of Christians online these days that are a group of good guys and— uh, They've been getting me back in touch with a, a more like philosophically literate form of Christianity than maybe I was used to. Like I said, I, I grew up in like an Answers in Genesis, like a, right. like literalist type of household. And I, by the way, I have a great relationship with my parents and my family. I love them very much. They're very cool and accepting. Um, 
and uh yeah i I really lucked out in terms of parents awesome that's that's really cool not not everyone is that lucky you know so it's not not everyone's that lucky yeah that's that's awesome yeah i'm I'm one of those cases to where it it isn't really panning out but uh i'm I'm glad for you i'm happy for you that's 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 awesome when your your closest kin your your surrounding environment is still accepting just because you have a different uh, opinion on uh, on something that's that's the whole that's the whole idea about humanism is trying to get along with other people and and being there for each other regardless of if you're a trump supporter or whatnot as long as you're not trying to harm other people then i, I fucking love you you know that's basically how it is so so Counter apologetics. What do you think is the strongest argument um, that you could formulate against um, any given deistic god or theistic god? What, what's your favorite? It's funny you say that because I'm actually reading a book right now called "The Best Argument Against God." Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't finished it yet, so I'll have to get back to you. But okay. no, it's by um, it's by Graham Oppie, and, okay. and it's uh it's it's really good so far but um it's sort of like as like i said i haven't finished it but from what i understand so far it's sort of like we uh we don't need god to explain anything that's sort of the first point the second point would be that there's nothing that's better explained by theism than by naturalism Mm -hmm. and the third thing is just that there are things that are better explained by naturalism than by theism so you know, that sort of taken together, this uh, guy considers to be sort of the best argument against God. Like, when you look at naturalism versus theism, you know, we agree about—there's a lot of, like, common uh, ground about sort of the data that's to be explained. And then theism as an explanation is just kind of metaphysically, like, uh, profligate. Like, there's just—it's just they're just adding stuff. The only thing they're really bringing to the table is a lot of metaphysical baggage— that doesn't really offer any explanatory edge, if you know what I mean. So it's like yeah, they're adding yeah. a lot of baggage, but there's not really any benefit to that baggage. And so just to reiterate, you don't need God to explain anything. There's nothing you can point to and say, you need a God to explain this. There's nothing like that. So then there's nothing that's, you know, because you might say, well, you don't need God to explain anything, but he's a better explanation maybe of some phenomenon than mm-hmm. just some natural process but that's really debatable like um there are a couple phenomena that maybe theism has a slight edge but like i said i personally don't think i think that anything you can point to naturalism does at least as well as theism um so there's nothing that theism better explains than naturalism and that third point is just there are a few things that naturalism is a better explanation of than theism. So one of those things that we talked about was divine hiddenness. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one would be evil and gratuitous suffering. Um, Another thing would be biblical confusion. Um, The fact that there are so many different interpretations of the Bible and so many different versions of Christianity, you know, given the stakes you just wouldn't expect that. It's it's kind of hard to believe that, you know, God is, you know, he, he had creative control over the contents of the Bible, and we're all really, you know, Christians, p- 
people who are believers can approach the Bible in good faith, read the same passage, and have completely different interpretations of it. You know, on naturalism, you'd expect that, but on theism, I don't think you would. Yeah, yeah. So, um, there's, uh, like, like I said, I think that that amounts to a pretty powerful argument, but there are a few things that are, that are like that. And, um, on that biblical confusion point, sometimes it, it just strikes me, you know, how, like I said, God had like creative control over the contents of the Bible. He created us. He created our minds that, you know, do the interpreting of the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, he's this omnipotent, omniscient being who's trying and failing to communicate a revelation. <laughs> It just doesn't, I mean, if you're omnipotent and omniscient, how could you try and fail as bad as God seems to be failing at communicating his revelation, especially when you created the, uh, the minds of the people who are doing the interpreting? Like, it just mm-hmm. seems, what is the explanation for this? I mean, at the very least, you have to say naturalism is a much better explanation, or you would expect that, rather, on naturalism, whereas you, I, I don't see why you would expect that at all on theism. So... There are a lot of things like that for naturalism, you know, things that you come across in the world like biblical confusion or divine hiddenness or evil and suffering that you would expect on naturalism, but you wouldn't really expect on theism. And there's nothing you can really point to, say, for maybe one or two examples where you can say, oh, theism does a better job explaining this than naturalism. There's not really anything like that. So I would say that those three points taken together might amount to the the best argument for God okay, or against okay. God. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a pretty pretty uh. Does that make sense? Argue. Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense. Uh, right now, what I've been running around with is uh is arguing about the omniscience paradox. Uh, and the omniscience paradox is a strong one for if you oh, is- yeah. if you isolate a uh, a person who believes in libertarian free will i would subscribe and most everybody including andy around here would know that my favorite subject to talk about is determinism um because i think that's one of the most it it, i can literally bring determinism into to be an important factor within almost any topic that you could bring up when it comes to faith when it comes to the problem of evil when it comes to god's omniscience when it comes to us making choices or free whatever it is determinism to me um is true and it's very important when it comes to talking about even morality i mean it's important so the omniscience paradox uh, doesn't really it's it's not really a problem for a compatibilist worldview uh, like somebody who, who who believes that there is a series of cause and effects and external influences um, and that will admit that God is a slave to himself that God is not able to act out outside of his own nature and God is unable to um, do do other than what he already knows he's gonna do being all-knowing and eternal and perfect all at the same time, you're you kind of put yourself in this in this box to where you don't have much room to move around and make choices with. So that's that's basically my favorite one that I've been that I've been running around with lately. So you're you're saying God wouldn't have free will and that would be a problem. So my my argument would be is that if God is eternal, he's never began and he's never ended. Uh, he's never been born, he never started to exist and he will always exist. If he is all-knowing, like like the Christians claim that he is, 
he has always known everything that he is ever going to do or anything that anybody is ever going to do. It says in the Bible that he knows the hairs on our head. It also says in the Bible that he cannot lie. It says that he cannot sin. It says that he cannot out to act outside of his own nature. So with all that being said, if God is eternally all-knowing, when you go to the story in the Bible where to where they go to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Right. And there's that negotiation process that happens between Abraham and God saying, hey, if you find 50 good men, we'll salvage the city, you know, and it works. It's all the way down to one good man. Well, if God is all knowing, he has known for all of eternity that there was not going to be any good men there and he was going to destroy the city anyways. God not being able to act outside of his own nature, which all knowing is a part of his nature. He never could have done done anything other than have that negotiation process, even knowing the end result. So God is limited in what he can do. And with that being said, all the times the atheists say, well, he's an immoral, misogynistic piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. But God's not strong enough to be any, any different than that. God's too weak to change his mind and be a better God. And that's what the, the the Christian might not say that he's evil and whatnot, but they some of them, the compatibilists, will admit that God is limited and, and determinism is inherently part of his internal nature. So he still can be the necessary existence to the universe. He still can be the creator, but at that point, he he's not able to make any decisions outside of his own nature, so he's stuck just like the rest of us. And right. That's pretty much a dilemma. If, if, if he can make choices, then he's not all knowing and he doesn't have the knowledge. <clears throat> and if so what you're saying, he does the dickish things in the Bible. That's because he has a dickish nature. Yes. And he can't do otherwise. Conversational. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically saying that everything that he did in the Bible, that was fucked up. Um, don't be too mad at him because he couldn't have done anything different. He's not right. strong enough. Very good. Yeah, no, that's an interesting like line of inquiry. I think that you could um, you could continue looking into like God's attributes, and if you wanted to make it an argument against God's existence, then you could um, you know sort of continue down that path and try to find how his nature is contradictory in light of his his attributes. So like um. For instance, you could argue that because uh, when you said omnipotence paradox, I thought that's what you were going for at first. Omniscience paradox, um, or omniscience paradox. Um, there are, I mean, there are problems for both of them. Like it, God is supposedly um, omniscient and omnipotent, but there are certain things I don't understand how an omnipotent being could really be acquainted with, like fear or frustration or despair. Like those things are produced by limitations that God doesn't have. So I, you know, I'm kind of unaware how God could be omniscient and not know things like what it's like to feel fear or frustration or despair. Um, but it seems like his omnipotent nature would preclude him. It seems like his omnipotent nature would preclude him from knowing certain things. Um, if you know what I mean, like why would it, how would an omnipotent being know what it's like to feel fear? Um, and, uh, you know, as for omniscience, I actually made an episode about this a while ago. I'm just trying to. Oh yeah, like I thought there might be a contradiction between omniscient and disembodied. Mm-hmm. Like if you're an omniscient being, 
but you but you're disembodied that almost seems like a contradiction in terms because there are certain sorts of knowledge that are associated with having a body you know mm. yeah so i I, th- I guess the argument that would be used is that uh the word came down in flesh at some point in time that jesus uh was uh we had this conversation today that that the claim is jesus was uh eternally generated or eternally begotten so he was the word at the beginning of time. Let's make man in our image. So they say Jesus existed um, fleshless back then. Um, and then when it was time for the word to become flesh, then Jesus came down. But that's the issue I have philosophically there is that if God is the creator, God wouldn't necessarily need to be the necessary being of the universe and should not be contingent upon anything. So the foundation of Christianity is Jesus coming down and dying for our sins, coming down in the flesh and dying for our sins. Therefore, Jesus without body parts, without flesh, would not be Jesus at all. It would tear the whole entire story down, uh, the whole foundation of Christianity. But that means that Jesus, the Son, regardless of whether you want to go with the Trinitarian view or not, Jesus, the Son, the Son, is now contingent and dependent on His flesh, which rules Him out as being as being able to be part of the Trinity of a necessary being. He is now contingent upon the Father, one, for being begotten, and two, for having flesh. If you have parts, you're no longer necessary. Yeah, and if if he, uh, you know, because you know, like that that is what they say. They'll say that well, Jesus answers some of these problems because he became human, and that's how he can you know relate to us or have certain knowledge that God might not otherwise have. But one problem with that is that Jesus didn't do everything that people do. I mean, there are huge gaps in his biography, but I imagine there are lots of things, activities that humans take part in that Jesus uh, never did. Um, that also just leaves out knowledge that non-human animals possess. But I think a, a bigger problem might be that, that, you know, if it took Jesus turning into a fleshly being, turning into human, turning into a human and then, you know, coming down, that means that God wasn't omniscient up until that point. And then he became, you know, more mm-hmm. omniscient after he turns into Jesus, which seems kind of weird. It seems like God should have always been omniscient. Yeah, I agree with that. Plus, you know, um... If you look at the nature uh, of the Trinitarian view, uh, God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus all share a divine nature. Jesus himself, outside of either God the Father and the Holy Spirit, has a human nature about him. Which means that he has a nature that, that the other two do not have, thus making him not compatible to be one being. Because if it's all one being, all three parts should share that nature. And if only Jesus has the human nature, there, there, there tumbles down in the uh, I, the Trinity. I don't even know what to say about the Trinity. I, I like every time I look into it, I'm just like, how is this a thing that is just like, you know, like I said, I'm I'm friends with these um like uh, Christian guys. I'm in a couple like group chats with them, and like, you know, I, I really love them, but it's like when they start talking about the Trinity with a straight face, it's like, how the fuck is this taken serious? Like, they're just talking about it. Like it's this normal thing and not just this, like, I, like I said, I don't even bother with the Trinity. It feels like it's too easy. What well, was it? Augustine who said that, that you have to believe in it first before understanding it. From the early church, one of the fathers. I don't know. It just seems like it, it's, 
something I asked them, I didn't get a straight answer was, um, does God have three points of view or just one? Because something that's characterized, you know, because they want to say that God is this conscious being. Um, so I was just wondering, because of the Trinity, does God have three subjective points of view or does he just have one point of view? And I, I didn't get a straight answer to that. But, you know, three doesn't equal one. This isn't that hard. Like, it's just like three does not equal one. Yeah. It just seems like it, that should be the end of the conversation. Yeah, I know well, that's like really reductionist of a, the very a lot of times. Like to, today, I I got the comparison when it come, came to the Trinity. Um, speaking with a Christian, I got the comparison to seconds, minutes, and hours. That's all time, right? Time is one thing, and second minutes and hours are all part of time. Therefore, three and one. Therefore, Trinity. Hey, Christianity for the win. That's <laughs> what like, I mean. Oh, please don't. That's what I mean. Where it's like I don't even like talking about it. It almost feels mean. Like, I'm going after, like, the weakest part. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, there was... I, oh, 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 no, go ahead. I didn't want to step on you, on what you were saying. I was just... Just because my mind's on, um, con like, God's contradictory nature. Um, something that uh, I was thinking about earlier today was just how God is, you know, like, omnibedevolent or all good or whatever. And how he's, you know, infinitely just on the one hand, you know, he's a just God, but he's also infinitely merciful on the other hand. And those seem to be in pretty stark tension. If you think justice is, you know, people getting what they deserve, and you think mercy is people not getting what they deserve, then how can you be infinitely merciful and infinitely just? It's like saying everyone gets what they deserve and no one gets what they deserve. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just I think it's an interesting path to go down um, to try to find sort of internal inconsistencies in, in God's nature. Emerson, I was listening to your most recent counter apologetics uh, podcast, and I came up with the most stupid question I could, um, <laughs> you know, possible. <laughs> what what could really uh, like you know maybe just you know blow his brain out or something i don't know you've probably heard a lot more stupid things than this but let me tell you how can you say there's no god when christians have been at the forefront of the fight for gay marriage <laughs> that is like perfectly designed to make me kill myself like, yeah. <laughs> that's why i'm definitely just happy on for our lovely guests to kill themselves and <laughs> oh my god so i for anyone who doesn't know i i believe that's in reference to cameron bertuzzi of capturing christianity having on william lane craig and they were just playing dumb about like uh, christians being anti-gay what what are you talking about? And like, I, I almost, I was just like losing my mind when I heard that for the first time. Cause I mean, you can watch the clip. Um, people have, uh, people have, have clipped it out of this like longer live stream. And, uh, I can't remember exactly what the context was. It was like Ricky Gervais saying something about like, um, you know, I, I'm happy to let religious people be religious. I'm for religious freedom. But like, if you start telling your kids that they're going to go to hell if they're gay, well, then I have a problem with you. And then <laughs> I believe Cameron Bertuzzi, I could just hear the voice in my head where he's just like, Christians don't do that. That's just a weird thing to say. I mean, like, the balls to just like deny Christians the. Don't the do that. 
it's just a weird thing to say. <laughs> and yeah, and William Lane Craig just goes, uh, I don't know of any Christian parent who tells their kid that if they're gay, they're going to hell. And it's like, you are a goddamn liar. Or like, I, or maybe they're like, I don't know. I, I just, it was so dishonest and it, it made me like lose my mind. I, I was just like, not only are they going to try to pretend that Christians have, uh, you know, never been on the wrong side of the gay marriage question, but they might eventually even try to take credit for advancing, you know, social mores in that direction. But um, I, I kind of, you know, just to, I try to be a little bit more optimistic about it because I don't think they're going to get away with it just because it was so out in the open. You know, everyone saw it. Everyone knows that Christians have been anti-gay and that they were the primary obstacle to, you know, advancing this particular issue for people. Um, so I, I hope they don't get away with it. But, you know, there's younger Christians, you know, like uh, Gen Z, who probably, you know, have grown up in an, in an environment where, like, you know, they're Christians, their friends are Christians, and they're not anti-gay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I am kind of try to be more optimistic about it, but they they might get away with it. They might get away with just pretending that they never did that, that they were never anti-gay and that they weren't the primary obstacle to marriage equality. Mm -mm. Hey, that's, that's, that's a, that's, that's a very bold claim to come out with, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that you've probably read the Bible quite a few times. <laughs> I know. It's just like, it's hard to believe they even said it, but I mean, you can watch it on video. It's, um, wow. I think rationality rules clipped it and, mm -hmm. uh, and he, he, uh, put it out there like as a clip. It's, I think it's also on my Facebook and on my Twitter. If you want to check it out. Have you ever been interested in, um, like co-hosting one of the ACA shows like truth wanted? Oh, yeah, totally. That'd be fun. I could get you, try and get you in touch with Dan. Um, cool. I don't know if he'll bring you on. I mean, but, uh, but I, uh, he, he, uh, he will, if, if, if somebody comes to him, I've co-hosted on the show before. So if, if I come to him and I say, Hey, this guy's pretty, uh, pretty smart. And I think he would be a good co-host. He, he might reach out to you, uh, and, uh, and ask you if you want to do it. Yeah, I'd love to do something like that. I'm a big fan of uh, Atheist Experience. Yeah, I, I, and just all their had, affiliates. I just had Matt Dillahunty on a couple weeks ago. Um, I saw that, yeah. he was He's my dude. That's that's like my my number one uh, my number one atheist that I, that I grew up on. Not grew up on, but when I was deconverting, he was the one that pretty much I listened to Atheist Experience day in and day out. It, it was just fantastic learning everything from him yeah he's a good guy he's he's friends with um uh one of my friends as well um ozymandias ramses the second i everybody that because i watched the episode with uh matt on from like a month ago or whatever okay and i think he was in the chat and you were saying his name you were just like oh and we got uh, uh, ozymandias Ramses. The oh same. yeah, <laughs> I, I was laughing because it, it is a weird name, but uh, but yeah, no, Ozzy's a cool guy. He's um he's done a couple uh, streams with um with Dillahunty, and he's a great resource as well. He's 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 cool as can be. Um, so what do you think? Um, so we've gotten your best argument. Uh, what do you think is the worst argument for the existence of God, and why? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man <laughs> the worst one um hmm that's tough because it's like the, the worst like of what class i guess of like because the the easy answer that everyone goes for here is the ontological argument but i'm not i'm not convinced that that's actually a bad argument it's kind of a contrarian position i know but um as far as arguments go it's like it appears to be valid it's hard to see which premise is wrong mm -hmm. um so in that sense it's a good argument like it you know it's it it seems to be a logically valid argument and it's hard to see which one of the premises is wrong so i mean that's what a good argument is yeah. so I, I don't think the ontological argument is all that bad honestly and i i do know of at least one guy who became a christian because of it um a guy named yujin nagasawa who's a um a professional philosopher um but let's see here <laughs> the worst argument <sighs> i would just i um, suppose oh go ahead no no go ahead i'm i'm still thinking I see. I was going to give you time. See, I'm going to just put some words out there. I'd say that any argument suffers under the influence of the spliff, the blunt, or any other kind of marijuana-infused um, element right there. <laughs> I, I know that people have said things to me on camping trips, just hanging out while under the influence, and I'm just been stunned. <laughs> Um, God, I see, cause I, I was kind of expecting a, uh, you know, to steal man theism, but let's see here. The worst argument for God. Um, I suppose that if there's no God, there's no reason not to like rape and murder and, uh, oh, yeah. just, uh, I guess that might be up there. Maybe I, I would hesitate to say it's the worst one ever, but it is kind of the only one that came to mind that just when you say what's, what's a horrible argument, I would yeah. say if there's no God, then why not rape and murder? Um, there are lots of reasons not to rape and murder yeah. <laughs> and very few of them have to do have anything to do with God. Um, even if you're like a moral nihilist, there are still reasons to not rape and murder. I'm a moral um, nihilist. Moral nihilists in general are a pretty chill bunch. They don't tend to be the ones committing the atrocities. Yeah. Um, it's usually the moral realists that you should keep an eye on. But, um, yeah, it's like uh, I, I don't murder and rape people, A, because I don't want to, um, B, because I think it's wrong, and C, because my life would be uh, inconvenienced if I did. <laughs> so even if you're a moral nihilist, you don't think there's anything wrong about it. And even if you want to, um, which most people don't, by the way, then the... Uh, there's still that whole like social reason where human beings hold each other accountable for their actions with, like with or without a God, with or without an objective sense of morality, like mm -hmm. human beings hold other human beings accountable, like sometimes through the state, like with the police and that sort of thing, but also just informally, like, um, you know, just with, like familial structures and peer group structures, like you're not going to get away with raping and murdering people because most people don't want to be murdered and raped, and most people don't want to rape and murder. That's a social norm that, um, you know, we would not exist if that wasn't the norm. You know, like, that—that that is a maladaptive um, norm that it's okay to rape and murder. We would mm -hmm. go extinct in one generation, you know. So it's like, you know, evolution has kind of implanted us with a lot of these uh you know, different ways of kind of preserving ourselves. And, you know, this norm is just 
we would not exist if this norm didn't exist. It doesn't matter if there's a God or not. Like, God is just sort of, you know, one more reason. And by the way, believing in God doesn't seem to stop anyone from doing these things. No. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've just, you know, and the statistics on this are probably, there are some confounding variables, like, because atheists commit a lot uh, less crime than theists but mm -hmm. i think that there are some confounding variables there i you know i would hesitate to uh you know cite that exactly because i think that in our current you know society you kind of have to be a little bit more um educated or at the risk of sounding arrogant you have to be a little bit more intelligent <laughs> that sounds horrible but i think that you you know like theism is still kind of the default state and in order to become an atheist you have to go through a lot of steps and I feel like that the group who would do that is also just kind of in a higher income bracket and in a more educated class, and um, well, the they're just less the, likely the, to commit crime. The, the 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 reason why I wouldn't say that this is in, in you know for for anybody that's you know a, a Christian is is might be offended about this or a theist might be offended. Go look look at the statistics for secular communities versus uh, religious communities. There's less teen pregnancies. There's less uh, atheists in prison. There are uh, less rape accounts. There's less um, less crime basically all, all around. There is uh, higher uh, IQ scores. Well, not higher IQ scores, but higher uh, higher um, education within these types of communities because we we value i mean i don't think you could either of you guys or any any theist out there can show me a secular atheist group that that does society that does not uh value science and and furthering of technology and knowledge like but there's plenty of religious groups that say oh well i know you guys say the global warming is an issue but don't worry god's gonna fix it like we don't mm -hmm. have that problem in the secular community Dude, I, I made a whole episode about that. I actually lost some listeners, some conservative listeners over it. I, I made an episode called Christianity versus Climate Change. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of outlined how Christian beliefs naturally produce disbelief towards the existence of serious climate change mm -hmm. and the, the severity of climate change. Um, it's, it's naturally produced by Christian beliefs. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, not to sound like a dick again, but actually atheists do score higher on IQ uh, tests and um, they are more highly educated. This is, you know, it's, it's a, it's just a fact. Like there, there are, um, I'm trying to think of it. There, there have been dozens and dozens of um, studies over the past like 90 to a hundred years that have been collecting this information. And I think almost all of them, except for like four or five, have shown that there's an inverse correlation between religiosity and intelligence and education. I, I just yeah, want to speak to that and say that before we start sucking our own dicks over this, because, you know, <laughs> to quote the wolf from Pulp Fiction there, um, <laughs> people respond to incentives within their society, right? Mm -hmm. So you have blue states, which typically the, you know, uh, and this is like an old argument, I'm not saying anything new here, is that we have better infrastructure, we have better education systems, we have a higher level of uh, health care, our standard of living is higher. And so that is an environment that creates incentives for secularism. 
So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I just also want to clarify that we're, we don't have a higher eye because I know we're probably going to catch something like that in the <laughs> chat or, or I'll get a message sometime saying that just because you're atheist doesn't make you smarter. No, no. The, yes. The intellect yes, leads yep. you to atheism. The, the looking no, no, no. into I was information. Say, I, I was going to say uh, atheists as a group um, – have higher like education and, and, and that sort of thing. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's not like every atheist has a higher IQ than every theist. That's yeah. That's I'm, not base, I'm, I'm basically that's pulling out the, the non sequitur, the, the absurdities of, okay. So, so you're saying if I convert over to atheism, I'm going to get smarter than I am right now. No, that's I, I know I'm going to hear it. What, what, what he's mm -hmm. saying is that people have grown up with a certain IQ level and, and a certain standards of evidence that they apply to everything in their life and don't use a special pleading fallacy to put something in a special corner door that it can't be touched. And when they, when he, when they do that, you know, that's because of their higher IQ levels and higher test scores, it typically leads them to the, um, to the conclusion or not conclusion, but position of atheism itself. That seems to be the trend, yeah. But there are there are plenty of you know. I'm just hastening to add that there are you know brilliant theists out there, and there are really yes. stupid atheists out mm -hmm. there. Um, oh, there are, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But um, for those for those of us that want to go watch this debate, um, it we're we are hour over, and the debate's going to be starting here soon. Um, but thank you guys, thank you Andy, thank you uh, Emerson for for hanging out with us. If you guys would like to jump on the after party, I know Andy, you're gonna you got your thing you got to do. Um, I appreciate you coming on co-hosting with me. Emerson, if you want to hang out, you're more than more than welcome to hang out and let's try and get some theists on and talk to some theists about what they believe and why I got a couple uh, a couple uh, that are uh, Mormons that, that might jump on and, and have a conversation with us. Um, I have a prior JW, uh, uh, XJW that we can talk to also uh, that I think I know is coming on. But but yeah, with that being said, thank you for everybody in the chat. You guys are awesome. Uh I love the uh, the support that you guys give this channel. Um, and until the after party, uh, I will see you then. Stay home, stay safe, and let's make America secular again. <laughs>